The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So the title for the, this five-part series this week is Mindfulness of Oneself. And, um, and I'm uh, partly inspired to do this because it's very valuable to become really attentive and mindful of oneself and to know how to do that in a way that is beneficial. But also that one of the important teachings uh, in Buddhism is uh, the idea of not-self. And, um, and this often gets misunderstood. And, and uh, so in the course of this week, I want to address this particular teaching. But I want to put the teaching in a context, in a bigger context, because I get the sense sometimes it's, uh, this not-self teaching is taught out of context or out of its original context or where the Buddha offered it. And, uh, and sometimes I think it's given more prominence, important as it is, it's given much more prominence in, in modern Buddhist teachings than uh, it is in the teachings of the Buddha, where it has a very particular meaning, very particular context for where it becomes alive and valuable and, and maybe even inspiring teaching. But there's a, so I want to kind of talk about the wider context of it all. And, um, and one of them is that uh, the Buddha talked a lot about, uh, used a lot of language about oneself. And um, uh, the word uh, atta is self. And they say it can be both a uh, philosophical term or a metaphysical term for something like a soul. But it could also just be an ordinary uh, uh, a personal pronoun, kind of myself, to I, you know, I'm sitting here. Someone might say, the Atta is sitting here, just as much as they would say, the, the, um, I'm sitting here. Um, but we get a lot of emphasis in the early teachings on, on what we would in English would call the self, on paying attention to oneself. And if we use the expression oneself, maybe it a little bit frees us from uh, quickly uh, getting mixed up with this teaching of not-self, and then feeling that they're opposed to each other. There was a story of, um, of a group of aristocrats in the time of the Buddha who went to a park to enjoy the afternoon or the day. And, um, and they had a picnic and uh, there were all these couples, I guess married couples, but there was one aristocrat who came with a courtesan as his partner to the, to the picnic. They all had this wonderful picnic, and then they all took naps. And while everyone else was sleeping, the courtesan went around and stole all the jewelry that everyone was wearing and uh, disappeared. When they woke up, they noticed that they had been, um, you know, that they had, you know, what had happened, and that the courtesan was gone. So they went looking for her. And elsewhere in the park was the Buddha, who was meditating. And... um, and they came to the Buddha and they said to him, um, have you seen a courtesan? And the Buddha said, what would you rather find, a courtesan or yourself? And so that got their attention. And so instead of looking for the courtesan and their jewelry, they sat down to sit uh, with this spiritual teacher to find out what is he teaching? What does it mean to find yourself? 
And so, but this contrast between jewelry and cortisones and and uh, and uh, finding what's been stolen and finding yourself is, uh, you know, kind of a dramatic contrast that uh, maybe the greatest treasure, the greatest jewel, jewelry we have is found within. And maybe that has the most value. And to spend time chasing after physical jewelry when we can discover the jewels within is a great, you know, it's kind of maybe unfortunate, at least from the point of view of of what's the treasures we can find inside ourselves. The um, and the Buddha, you know, here these these people were just kind of being introduced to Buddhism with that teaching. When people uh, follow the whole path of Buddhism to the end, they uh, sometimes are called great selves, mahaattas, or um, or uh, nagaatta, uh, selves that are like great. Uh, 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 serpents, great, great, powerful beings, and so there is not a, sh- a shyness in the early tradition to use the word uh, "ata" as a as a strong word in reference to people. Like, and also there's not a shyness to uh, talk about an individual from terms of being kind of a strong, powerful person. Uh, before the Buddha was enlightened, uh, and uh, he would, someone came to see him and he was a, already a mendicant uh, practicing. And uh, I guess he was practicing in the woods. And someone came to him and said, you know, it's pretty scary to go meditating alone deep in the woods. And the Buddha said, yeah, I, th- I realized that. And when I was thinking about going off to practice, I thought about the fear and I realized that if a person doesn't have concentration, it's easy to be afraid in the woods. But I have concentration. If a person has not, uh, does unethical conduct in body, speech, and mind, it's um, easy then to go into the woods and be afraid. But I don't have unethical conduct in body, speech, and mind. Uh, if a person has covetousness and greed, it's easy to be afraid in the woods. But I don't have that. If a person has hostility and hatred, it's easy to be afraid in the deep in the woods, but I don't have that. And he went through all this list. He's checking himself out. He's getting to know himself, or he, re- he knows himself really well. And he knows that if he goes into the woods, those things are not going to be there to trip him up and make it difficult or frightening to be in the woods. So here's a person who really knows himself in the situation where it's important to do so. Because if you go into the wilderness... Uh, alone, in a sense, you only have yourself to survive, to find your way, to be, to take care of yourself, and um, and you can't call first responders. You can't call, you know, someone to help you if something happens. You have to really use your own wits and your own abilities to be able to manage, including managing uh, not getting frozen or lost in fear. Um, back, you know, there's lots of stories of monks, even in modern Thailand, relatively modern Thailand, maybe not in the last decades, who went to practice in the woods and had experiences with uh, wild animals, with tigers and different animals, that um, that they had to deal with their fear and and um, so so um, so there are times, there are places we go where clearly 
we're responsible for ourselves. Clearly, it's about us, me, myself, and mine to really find my way with that. And a person needs to have skills, needs to know themselves well to find their way with that. And, um, and uh, be responsible for themselves. No two ways about it, I think, for the most part. Um, and there are personal places where people go in the modern world, and we're not in the wilderness, that we have to be responsible for ourselves and we have to track ourselves and know ourselves and take responsibility for ourselves in a way that, um, uh, you know, that we don't expect anybody else to do it. I mean, I apologize maybe for this kind of um, maybe silly or inappropriate example, but uh, no one else goes and pees for us. If we have to pee, we have to do it for ourselves. And um, so there is a place, a context for connecting and knowing oneself well. When we close our eyes in meditation, uh, in a sense, we are going into an inner wilderness, an inner nature. And this, in meditation with our eyes closed, for in spite of all the support we get from sitting with people and teachers and teachings, once the eyes are closed, symbolically, it's okay, it's just me and me, you and me, here we are. And uh, let's do the best of it, let's find out. That's not the only thing we do in Buddhism. Uh, one of my favorite quotes of the Buddha is when he uh, defined what it is to be a wise person. And he said, a wise person is someone who um, uh, is uh, concerned with the welfare of oneself. And here the word is atta, the word for self. Um, uh, one is concerned for the welfare of others, and one is concerned for the welfare of both self and others, and one is concerned for the welfare of the whole world. So it's clearly the focus on self in the meditation and Buddhist practice, which there's a lot of it there, um, is not meant to be selfish or self-absorbed. Also, there's a concern for others. Also, there's a concern for the relationship between others, the us, um, the self and others, and for the wider world. And in different contexts, uh, the attention of care goes in different directions. But there is a context for doing it here, for us as an individual. Uh, some people are uncomfortable with that, and they want it to be kind of some amorphous we, or amorphous we're not separate from all, everybody else. And, and, um, and that's a fine thing to want in some ways, but to do that without becoming centered and stable here, become strong here, so that we have more to offer as we care for the others, as we care for the world around us. Some people are afraid of really standing up here and recognizing who they are and respecting themselves and really becoming embodied and full with, with who they are. Uh, in English we say be full of oneself and that's kind of a form of conceit. And so we, we can be afraid of that conceit to be so full in, in everything. And, um, but there's a fascinating teachings in the Buddhism about this where conceit is, um, is uh, viewed as being three different types of conceit. There's a kind of conceit that many of us think of as conceit, thinking that one is better than others. There's a kind of, in Buddhism, there's also a conceit, 
a way of thinking about oneself, that um, solidifying around oneself, uh, that thinks of oneself as less than others. And the third kind of conceit is um, uh, the idea that we're equal to others. And that's particularly challenging for some people in a society where being equal is considered to be, you know, the right way of being. So neither higher, lower, or equal uh, is all four, all three of those because they're a form of conceit. So what's the alternative? It seems like there's nothing, nothing left. What's uh, left is not to play the comparison self-game, not to judge ourselves either kind of way, because it involves an excessive preoccupation with self, and that's what makes it conceit. A com- uh, excessive uh, preoccupation with, I have to be a certain way, I have to be better than others, worse than others, or I have to be equal, we all have to be equal. And uh, that also can lend itself to a lot of constriction and tightness around self um, as conceit, as a, as a uh, form of attachment. So clearly, conceit, attachment to identity, attachment to view, attachment to you know, these things are clearly something that Buddhism wants to let go of, but not at the expense of becoming fully embodied be- people, fully present, strong, valued, respected. And, uh, and there is a kind of way in which doing this practice, at least from the point of view of the Buddha, is to help us become powerful in a, in a benign way, in a beneficial way, in a peaceful way, in a harmless way. Um, but we're becoming abundant. And this is the words of the Buddha, language of the Buddha. We're becoming, uh, there's an abundance rather than being wasted or, or deficient or not quite kind of living into our fullness. So, and that's one of the, the divisions that Buddha made. Uh, he divided people not by better or worse, inferior or superior, but he uh, used the word, um, there, some people are deficient uh, or deprived or wasted, and some people have an abundance. And meditation practice and the spiritual practice of Buddhism is to fill what is deprived, fill that, what's wasted, and become abundant from the inside out. So um, so that's beginning of this context for the Buddhist teaching of, um, of, uh, of self. And um, thank you. And uh, look forward to doing more of this through the week. <laughs>